Funding for WPLN News comes from you, our listeners, and Bernstein Private Wealth, working with creators and innovators to invest with intention and build the legacy they want to leave behind. More at Bernstein.com. I'm Khalil A. Colonna, and this is Nashville. Want to know something I really don't mind? Going to the airport. For me, it's something fascinating about watching travelers carry their bags and rushing to their gates. I like to play a little game where I make up dialogue for weary travelers. Try it. It can be a great way to pass the time while waiting for your flight. Our airport is already a busy place with over 30,000 departures a day, but it's about to get even busier. So let's learn more about our airport. What's its history? What does the future hold for expansion? And what is up with that carpet? Okay, today we will answer those questions and more. But first, on Saturday night, November 12th, temperatures were quite cold. Calls came in about a man walking down River Road near the Cheatham County line. Some say he was yelling, throwing things at cars. Others say he had a stick or maybe a gun. Two police officers arrived on the scene. Within 71 seconds, the man was shot and killed. His name was Drandon John Brown. But to his friends and homeless outreach workers, he was known as Chief. WPLN's criminal justice reporter Paige Flager has been following the story, and she joins us now. Welcome back, Paige. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being here. So tell us about Chief. What was he like? And what have you learned about him? Yeah, from what I understand, Chief was quite a character. He was very beloved. Uh, He'd been living in a tent in Brookmead Park. There's uh, been a really big encampment there for a couple of years, which has drawn a lot of attention lately. Um, People tell me he was really generous and giving. Oftentimes he would be the first people, one of the first people to greet someone if they came to the camp he would help people get set up with a site a tent a a sleeping bag he was also a veteran um and he had a dog that he loved very much named daisy uh his friends told me that sometimes chief really struggled with his mental health i think we hear about this a lot Mm -hmm. when we're talking about unhoused veterans in particular One friend said that um, sometimes when Chief would stop taking some of the medication that he was on, uh, he went from seeing people as his friends to seeing people as his enemies. Mm. Um, And lately, outreach worker Lisa Wysocki with the group Colby's Army says that some of the challenges with his mental health had gotten worse. Every week we go see him and, you know, offer uh, to refer him to, you know, various services, which he always declined. And... I, you know, it's, it's frustrating sometimes when you know the help is out there and, and people, because of their illness, won't accept the help. And so over the last few years, he declined, meaning that he had more mental health episodes. He had more uh, angry outbursts. He had more uh, dissatisfaction with the world around him. And it's important to note that Waisaki told me that she's interacted with Chief when he's been having those type of outbursts. And usually she could just de-escalate the situation by being calm and just listening to what he had to say. Now, on top of that, you found out Chief had recently learned some distressing news. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. So 
what I, what I've been told is that um, some of his mental health struggles had had led to him moving to a different part of Brookmean Park. He was actually sort of on the outskirts of the park where the park abutted private property. And he had just learned that that private property was being sold and was going to be developed. And so he was going to have to relocate. Um, and another important note about Chief is that he had a criminal record. Records show that he had gone through veterans court a couple of different times Um and some changes, uh, some of those charges were tied to some of his mental health challenges. But he had told his friends that he felt like he really had no place to go. He had been tr- having trouble finding housing that would accept him with some of the charges that he had in his past. Um, and so I think uh, there's this sense from the people who knew him well that he was feeling a lot of increased pressure lately about the idea of having to relocate from where he had been for a long time and try and find a place to live that would take him. If mental health played a role, we have some emergency programs for that, right? Yeah, that's right. So we have um, a program called Partners in Care, which uh, pairs a mental health health counselor from the mental health cooperative with a police officer for this kind of, it's called like a co-response model, Mm -hmm. um, where they would go out uh, and respond to calls together. Um, And so the pilot program Right now, it's just in half of the city's police precincts. It's in the North, Hermitage, Central, and South precincts. Um, and in September, the city has agreed to keep expanding that program until it's in every precinct across the city. Um, and the the program so far has, has shown some encouraging signs of success. You know, in the first year, officers and clinicians responded to more than 1,000 calls. Uh, about 5% of the time, they resulted in arrests. Otherwise, more than half of them were resolved with a medical transport, either to a hospital or a treatment center. Um, but in some ways, I've been told that that can be sort of like a temporary solution mm. where, you know, there's not always long term treatment options available. And so for someone like Chief, he could get into some temporary help, but eventually he would probably end up back in his same situation in the camp again uh, and rinse and repeat. So what about this situation? Why wasn't a mental health counselor called in? Yeah, so that program, the Partners in Care program, is not in West Nashville yet, which is where where this incident took place. Um, I had one officer tell me that they can actually call a counselor in from a different part of the city, um, but sometimes it can take more than an hour to get that person on the scene. Um, so if the whole interaction had taken place, say, in a parking lot, Maybe there would have been more time to Mm. wait for someone to arrive on the scene. But this took place kind of in the middle of a dark, winding road at nighttime. Um, But on the other hand, you know, uh, a a lot of people who watched the body camera video that was released by the police department say that the ways that the officers approached Chief were kind of intense given the fact that it was clear that it was a mental health related call. Um, They didn't ask his name. They didn't give him much physical space. They didn't provide him options for, say, getting out of the road, getting food, getting water. Like you said, it was quite cold, getting some sort of warmth. Um, And the situation really escalated when one of the officers turned to the other officer and said, you ready? Um, and chief heard that and pulled out a knife as though to defend himself. So, so how does this shooting fit into the context of other shootings this year? 
Yeah, it's interesting. We've been thinking about kind of the the differences between last year and this year. You know, last year there were 10 fatal police shootings by Metro Nashville police. Um, this year ha- there have been three. Um, and there are actually a lot of parallels between what happened with Chief and the shooting that happened in January of Landon Eastep um, that took place on the interstate Both men were struggling with their mental health. Both men were struggling with unstable housing. Both had knives. Um, And Lindsey Crinks, the founder of the nonprofit Open Table Nashville, which works with the unhoused population, says that in both those shootings, she kind of wonders if if police officers are the right way to respond to calls like those. The question for all of us is, do you want people, do we want people with badges and guns to be the ones responding to the lowest and most difficult moments of our lives? And if not, we need to act with urgency to scale up our city's non-police crisis response resources, and the budget season is coming. <laughs> and this is a conversation that advocates have been having for a long time in Nashville, which is like, do what options are on the table for responses that don't involve the police department at all. Um, and Crinks pointed out, you know, she's looking at the budget for our police department versus the budget that we have set aside for taking care of the people who are unhoused and the people who are struggling with their mental health, like chief and wondering if that's the best way to distribute resources for public safety. Can you zoom out a little bit broader and, You know, how are things going between the government and the unhoused population? Yeah, things are tense. There's a lot of things changing lately. Uh, Tension over affordable housing. We talk about that all the time here at WPLN. Um, And Tennessee recently outlawed camping on public property and made the penalty for that stiffer. There's also kind of this flashpoint going on with Brookmead Park, where Chief lived, um, which has long been targeted for complete closure. Dozens of people still live there. Neighbors who live around the park have long been calling for a change. And the city has identified Brookmead uh, as one of the encampments that's going to get more attention in the coming months. And then more broadly across the city, there's more money coming in for homeless services. The city council decided to put about $50 million in federal pandemic relief money into helping get more people housed. Um, So the details are still sort of coming together for how exactly that money is going to be used. But I think houselessness is going to be one of the biggest issues that Nashville is grappling with in in the months and probably the years to come. What are you watching for next? Yeah, so tomorrow there is a memorial for Chief being held at Brookmead Park. I'm under the impression that they'll also be talking about some of the people who had recently also passed away who lived in the park. Um, There are often a lot of drug overdoses that happen in Brookmead Park, and so I think this is kind of a memorial more broadly for that community. Um, We're waiting to see what's going to happen with the park and other encampments across the city. And of course, um, with any police shooting, TBI is investigating and the DA is going to decide whether or not the officers will be charged in the incident. Paige Flaker is WPLN's criminal justice reporter. You can find her story in today's episode post at thisisnashville.org. Paige, as always, thanks for being here and thank you for your reporting. Thanks so much. We have to take a short break. When we come back, we're headed to the airport. What are the expansion plans for BNA? And what's up with that famous carpet? Are you a fan of the BNA carpet? Tweet us at This Is Nashville. We'll be right back.
I'm Khalil A. Colonna, and this is Nashville. Holiday travel time is here. People are getting their bags packed and heading to the airport at least two hours before flight time, just to be on the safe side. Hey, with 30,000 departures a day, that's probably the side you want to be on. Sure, it can feel like a slog taking off your shoes to pass through security and standing in line for an expensive coffee. Nine bucks? Really? Minor complaints aside, in my experience, BNA is pretty easy to get around. And it just might get easier. Our airport is currently being expanded to have handle even more travelers. What is that going to look like? Now, I want to say here that we invited a representative from BNA to join us for today's show, but no one was available. But before we get into the airport itself, we have to address the abstract, swirly, geometric elephant in the room. I'm talking, of course, about the infamous BNA carpet. To find out more, we sent our intern, Tori Hoover, out to get the scoop on the airport carpet and its own social media following. Good morning, Double customer coming in on flight 2087 from LaGuardia. You may keep your bags on the Can I ask you a question? We're looking for anybody who is familiar with the BNA carpet. It has a like, cult following on Instagram. Are you familiar with it? No. Thank you. Um, are you familiar with the BNA Carpets Instagram following? No. BNA Carpets, like, cult following on Instagram? No. Yeah, they have 30,000 followers. Not particularly, no. It reminds me of a design that would be on, like, a paper coffee cup holder. It's not, like, hard on the eyes, but, um, I don't know, I like the texture, too. I'm not, like, laying on it or anything, but, like, walking around, it's nice and, like, it's soft enough for my feet. Hey, I mean, people really get really interested in the weird it's really, it's very strange. That's so funny. Yeah, all I can tell you is that I've heard about it, but other than that. <laughs> all right, so those folks may not be familiar with the BNA carpet, but 30,000 of y'all out there definitely are. Stephen Hale wrote an article about the carpet's fame for the Nashville scene back in 2020, and he joins me now. Stephen, welcome back to This is Nashville. Thanks for having me. Really a pleasure to have you with us. So, you know, this carpet has clearly taken a life of its own. Why do you think that is? Well, that's a good question. I was thinking about this because I was trying to remember it's sort of a chicken and her chicken or egg thing. I was trying to remember if I noticed the carpet first as being sort of unusual or if I learned about the Instagram account and then sort of realized that the carpet was unusual. But I think um maybe a couple of reasons. One is the carpet is pretty strange. Um, mm. you, you called it abstract. That's a good word. It's sort of, um, I don't know. It's like this, uh, sort of swirly pattern that doesn't really, uh, it's kind of mixed matched and stuff. Uh, and I think there's also something about things like that, that, uh, are clearly not meant to be funny or interesting that people sort of, like grabbing onto i think um it's it's when did you first notice the carpet well so i think i think i was looking back through i have a picture of my daughter on the carpet from like 2019 or so um as as many of us are often mm -hmm. tempted to do i used a picture of my child to try to get likes on instagram and i tag i knew that i could tag okay. the carpet which i just thought was hilarious yeah and so uh, I did that. So it was around then, um, and I, I had a great. I just I just got such a kick out of it. Uh, mostly that 
there was someone who was able to uh, get such a large following just by posting pictures of it. Now, from what I understand, the carpet used to be all over the airport, but now it's only at the Delta terminal. So why did it get reduced, so to speak? Yeah, so my understanding is that it, it's sort of been a slow process back in 2020 when I wrote the the, the article that you were talking about. Uh, it was because the carpet was going to be replaced for some new, um, you know, they were putting in some new flooring in other areas of the airport. And so I suppose as the airport continues to grow and get updated, um, they have the, the carpet's size uh, or reach in the airport has shrunk. Mm. Um, and all the way to now where there's just one, one special area where you can see it. Um, you know, it's, maybe they should preserve some corner of the airport and just leave it roped off where you can go see the original carpet or something. But yeah, it's, it's looking down. I guess, it, I guess we're going to be completely out of it soon. That maybe soon. I mean, why replace something so many people love? Yeah, I don't know. I, I think that, uh, I mean, I, I mean, I'm sure that the new setup will, will be nicer in some ways, but I don't know that it will be as much fun, which is, uh, maybe a, it's, uh, how a lot of these things go. You know, you have this thing that was sort of an organic, funny local thing. I, I found it interesting that a lot of the folks you guys were able to talk to at the airport didn't know about it. It's kind of funny because it's in the airport where a lot of people from out of town, come through but a lot of people here in town knew about the carpet and so it was sort of a fun thing for locals even though it was in a place that is um often used by you know people coming in and out of town mm -hmm. and you know i think that uh you know we should preserve as many of those things as we can it's not the most important thing around but uh it was a good time and i think that there's there's almost something maybe metaphorical about that and the changes that nashville is going through where a lot of these old kind of local cult quirky things end up getting replaced by more generic, albeit somewhat nicer and newer things. That's right. Leave it to Steve Cavendish to get deep about carpet. Um, there's an Instagram account, 30,000 followers. We've been talking about it. That's dedicated to this BNA carpet. Now you've interviewed the mysterious person who runs that account. They declined our inter in invitation to be interviewed for today's show. But Stephen, tell us, what do you know about them? You know, what's funny is I, I know basically nothing about them. I interviewed them by email um, back then. I had reached out on Instagram because I followed the Instagram account. And I'll even tell you, I knowing I was going to come on to discuss this today, I reached out to them myself just wondering, um, I don't know, what, what was going on? What was up? Because I don't know how active the account has really been um, in, more recently. So the truth is I know basically nothing about them okay. other than that uh, they – took notice of this carpet at some point and uh got a large following about it yeah i'm very curious about about who who they are um do, do you but care more so just about how they got into all this that's, that's what i'm saying do you care to speculate why they keep such a low profile yeah i mean i don't know i think that um it may be just as simple as having thirty thousand people follow you on social media um is great but if if they're actually following you yourself, that may, you know, invite a certain level of attention and stuff that not everyone wants, uh, mm -hmm. which is certainly perfectly fair. Um, it also may just be really fun to do this thing and have no one know that it's you. I mean, gosh, if I had an account, a secret Instagram account that had 30,000 followers in my 
friends didn't even know it was me. I would just kind of get a kick out of that. So yeah. I don't know. Um, also, who knows? Maybe it's an airport insider mm. and they can't, re- you know, maybe the airport wouldn't, you know, I don't know. The airport seems to have had a complicated relationship with the carpet. Uh, they kind of embrace it because they sell these doormats and things with the carpet on it. But I don't know how what the relationship with the Instagram account is like. So, you know, who knows? It could be any number of things. It's like getting little leaks from the inside. It feels like almost. Mm -hmm. I'm going to send a challenge out to our colleagues in the WPLN newsroom. Curious Nashville, get on it. So my next guest is an expert in how airports operate. Alex Lundberg is an assistant professor in aerospace at MTSU. She joins us now. Alex, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you so much for having me today. Thank you for being here. Real quick, I have to ask you, do you know the BNA carpet Instagrammer? I do, and I will not reveal their identity, but I do know who runs that account. And it started as just being satirical. They just wanted it to be fun, and it blew up. And it did. It did. All right, we've got the inside scoop right here. Well, tell me, how do you feel about the carpet? I, you know, it's it's so iconic. I love the carpet, but I feel like, you know, like everyone's saying, it's it's going to go away. They're, Nashville is wanting to be a, you know, nice, clean airport, and the carpet is, oh gosh, it looks like it's something from the 80s maybe. Um, and so now you can buy it as doormats. I think they're selling it as Christmas ornaments, so they're wow. taking pieces of it for Christmas ornaments. So I love it, but I, I'm sad to see it go at the same time. Okay. Now, I understand you have... An interesting introduction into aviation. I, I do, yes. So <laughs> I I am a private pilot. Um, you know, my stepdad bought an airplane and told me, oh, I want you to learn to fly in case I ever have a heart attack and you need to land the aircraft. Okay. And and I did. I can land an aircraft safely, you know, and he did. He had a heart attack and said, hey, I need you to land the airplane. And, and you did. And I landed the airplane. So ever since then, I've I've loved flying and it's part of me now. Okay. That's an interesting way to get in it. <laughs> it is. Prescience from your stepdad. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, tell us about, we, you know, we understand our airport a little bit, but how does it work? How does it stack up to other airports in the, around the country? Well, you know, so Nashville is now the 27th largest airport in the United States. That's up from 33 just a couple of years ago. So we're slowly getting bigger and bigger. And we've had, you know, a record breaking year with 18.4 billion passenger million, sorry, billion passing through Nashville. And June was one of our largest, you know, um, days where we had so many passengers that we're just seeing this huge influx of people that they love Nashville and they want to come here. So it's it's growing rapidly. So, you know, a lot of us get tunnel vision trying to make our flights, but how do airports work? Yeah. So you don't see a lot of what goes on in the background from, you know, what makes an airport run from the ground crew to ATC to everyone who's getting you on that plane um, and even just the TSA agent. So it takes a lot of planning on all the airports part on how they make a good functioning airport to sort of funnel you through to where you need to go. Um, and that's why, you know, Nashville's increasing because that funneling, it got a little tight there. We got a little too small and we needed to grow. Um, so that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to keep up with the demand and grow larger so they can bring more employees. They can bring more concourses and gates in to help us get bigger and not be so congested. Is there another kind of business you could compare the airport to? Oh, gosh. Uh, it's pretty much just a big old, it's just a business. So it's just, you know, 
If you're running a Fortune 500 company with a bunch of employees, there's an airport right there. Um, you know, they employ thousands of people there, and it takes all those thousands of people to make that airport run from parking to getting you on that plane and taking off and the pilots that take you to where you need to go. You were talking about the growth rate, 7% yeah. growth rate for 2022 fiscal yes. year, 18.4 million travelers, breaking yes. a 2019 record. Yeah. It's a lot of numbers. It is. A lot of people. It With is. those numbers in mind, what are the plans for BNA expansion? Yeah, so right now, you know, BNA has been sort of divided off into two concourses. And uh, from what I hear, the middle portion is going to open again in January of 2023, towards the end of January. And they're opening 24 new TSA lanes. They've extended that concourse out a couple hundred feet to put in more um, international gates, new uh, sort of beautiful um, shops and diners and markets that you can go to. And then they're going to add a satellite concourse in to add in more gates. Mm. So that satellite concourse will go right past concourse C and we'll have a shuttle going back and forth. So that's how they're going to expand now until they decide they need an actual permanent second concourse. Okay. If you're just tuning in, this is Nashville, and I'm your host, Khalil Ekelona. We're talking this hour about the growth and expansion of the BNA Airport with MTSU professor Alex Lundberg and writer Stephen Hale. So the airport is expanding to accommodate more travelers, as we just learned. And, you know, 40, I heard there's going to be 40 new food, retail, and business locations by the end of January 2023. Mm -hmm. Where are they currently in that plan? Is this going to happen by January 20? It is, yeah. So I don't know if all 40 will be there, but that middle section that you're going to now funnel into, you know, you come down this beautiful escalator. I was just there with the CEO and president um, on his VIP tour, and you come down this beautiful escalator, and all the new marketplaces are right there in the center. As you get through the new security, you know, they're bringing in two retired jumbotrons to show you all your information and videos, and the markets are going to be in the center and down towards the gates that'll take you to uh a or B or C or D concourse. Is this all a part of the BNA vision plan? It is, yes. So this is the BNA vision has been going for the past, you know, since 2019, 2018, and we will keep going with the BNA vision until 2030 and beyond. Okay, so Steve, out aside from the overall lack of the classic BNA carpet, what do you think about all these new changes? I think it's interesting. I mean, you know, the, the I suppose most cities probably think of their airport as one of the front doors to the city, right? So people coming in to visit. And I've certainly been to airports that I didn't think were very nice. So, uh, you know, any improvements to the airport, I imagine, are a big part of people's impressions of the city. I, I hope that we don't lose along with the carpet the uh various country stars that welcome you to the airport over the intercom as you get there that's always a fun fun that and the airport tootsies which is a good time so you know we keep a couple of these things around and i'm happy okay now we received a question at thisisnashville.org submitted by heather osborne it reads i'm curious about the wonderful new park on the fifth floor of the airport between the parking garage and the terminal there's a dog park playground picnic table and swings who's going to use it so alex what can you tell us about this part of the park? yeah so if you do if you go through the new parking garage that they just completed on the fifth level between the parking garage and the new um offices there is a dog park up there um bna is 
been very, you know, welcoming to pets. They love to have pets there. So they like when you bring your dogs through to travel and they created a larger dog park. They created swings um, that you can sit there and you can enjoy the outdoors and walk around a little bit before your flight or after your flight. Um, And it's just a beautiful new little park to stop by before you go home or get on the plane. Dog park at the airport. All right. Now, Stephen, does this news about future plans, does it make you want to hang out at the airport even if you don't have any travel plans? (laughs) I'm not sure I could afford to hang out at the airport very long. That's the only thing. But uh, I do... um, I do enjoy, uh, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a Yazoo brewery location that I've spent some time at in the airport before. Um, but yeah, I mean, it'll be fun to go in and out of there. It's also, you know, it's, it's for local folks the airport is the first thing you see when you get home. So again, it's nice for it to be, uh, a pleasant experience. We'll see if dates at the airport becomes the thing <laughs> for 2023. You know, our city's growing by the day, Alex. Yep. Some folks say it's growing too much and too fast. In your view, is the expansion of the airport a good thing for Nashville? Oh, I think it's a great thing. And, you know, Nashville, the, the hard part is Nashville is still nine years behind. So whatever growth they're doing, we're still behind on the demand that we are seeing. Um, like you said, it's growing by 7% and it's going to, you know, the projection keeps going. And I think this is a great thing. The airport needs to expand. We're bringing, you know, my great friends at Tennessee Aeronautics did a system-wide impact study. And Nashville itself brings in $9.9 billion to our economy. Mm. So I think it is a great thing that we're expanding and we're bringing more in because it just helps the Nashville economy that much more. Well, the BNA carpet will not be around it in the future. It probably won't. So, Stephen, what does that say to you about how Nashville's changing? Well, I think, you know, it, we have to be realistic about these things. Cities grow and change. I think, like I said, it's it's maybe uh, yet another kind of local quirky thing that will be replaced with something that is probably nicer, but maybe not quite as fun to some of us around here. But, uh, you know, it's it it's ultimately just a carpet. So we got to keep a little perspective. I do think that, uh, you know, the one thing that I take from the carpet on a, is, is that, uh, these things are fun when they're organic. And sometimes, you know, I think when people are designing things, they can try to maybe force, uh, Oh, we're going to put this picture on a wall that people will take a picture next to, or we're going to do this thing. That'll be fun. And sometimes these things just have to sort of grow on their own, uh, and take on a life of their own. Um, I'm sure there will be some new thing at the airport that everyone can latch onto as a, as a fun, funny thing. And maybe we'll get a new, fun social media account out of it. Well, everybody grab your piece of carpet while it's lasting. That was writer Stephen Hale. He is joined by Alex Lundberg, associate professor in aerospace at MTSU. Thanks to you both for being on the show today. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much again for having me. Thanks a lot. We have to take a short break. When we come back, we'll learn about the history of the Nashville International Airport. How many times have you traveled to BNA this year? Tweet us at This Is Nashville. We'll be right back. Khalil Colonna, and this is Nashville. 
Today, we are talking about the growth and expansion of our airport, the Nashville International Airport, or BNA. But what about its history? How did it start out? How did it grow to be what it is today? My next guests can fill us in, and both have actually flown into our airport. Bob Minter is a former pilot and the founder of the Tennessee Aviation Hall of Fame. And Larry Williams is a retired FAA investigator. He was flown out of BNA as a pilot. Bob and Larry, thank you both so much for being here today. Welcome to This is Nashville. Thank, thank you. you. So first things first, Bob, how did our airport get started? Well, it began as two different airports not located where they are now early on in the 20s. One of them was called Hampton Field and the other one Blackwood Field. The Blackwood Field was was located in Hermitage and it lasted from about 1921 to 1928. And the 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 what we know as BNA now uh, began in 1937 with 300 acres of land. Okay. Today we've got like 1,500 and something. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and there was some there was a, a big military presence back then. There still is one, but there was it was primarily military back in those days. And and the the, the passenger numbers were <laughs> substantially less, of course. Yeah, I think his first year it was uh, well, it, it, there was about one hundred eighty-nine thousand passengers all year long. One hundred eighty-nine thousand for the entire right. year. At so BNA. you just heard how many we have now. Yeah, so. we, we get to that in, in <laughs> a week and a half nowadays. <laughs> yeah. So now I understand it was called Barry Field, right? That's right. How did it, that come about? Well, it was named after a fellow named Barry, who was. <laughs> The, the WPA, the Works, what was that called? Project Works? Administration. Project Administration, that was it. From the New Deal. Uh, the, yeah, right. You know more about this than I do. I, I, we have good producers. Anyway, it was, <laughs> it, was, he, it was named after him. Okay. And, and that's how it came up with Barryfield Nashville Airport, yes. How many runways did it have back then? Three. Three. Yep. That's million it. and a half dollars. Okay. Built a three-story building, three runways. 300 acres of land, million and a half bucks. Wow. <laughs> wow, that's something else. We spend that much in 30 minutes right now. That's right. Now, take us back to the old days, Bob. What kind of planes were flying in there during those times? DC-3s primarily. Mm-hmm. Uh, later on in the 60s, uh, we had Convair 440s and Martin 404s, you know, uh, those kinds of airplanes, but the DC three, the venerable old DC three, was the was the was the airplane of the day. And interestingly enough, many of them are still flying today. How big are those exactly? Well, they only carry about a a, a load of if they're if they're maxed out of twenty eight people. Okay. So they seemed big at the time, didn't it? Yeah. And now it's nothing. <laughs> That's right. Wow, things have changed. Now, you know, I understand the runways have a special numbering system for identification. Larry, can you explain that for us? Well, yeah, the number on the runway is the magnetic heading. It's like two is 20. Uh, the opposite would be two zero, which is 200 degrees. Okay. Why is it based on the magnetic heading? Is that for a compass and directions? Yeah, so the 
pilots will know which runway they're being vectored to and whatever. And you uh, usually land into the wind to, to minimize ground, ground roll uh, so it takes up less space to land and take off. Okay. Where is the longest runway at the airport? It's 3-1 and 1-3. I think it's 10,000 feet, I believe. 10,000 feet. Uh-huh. Wow. That's pretty cool. Now, I, I'm, I'm curious about how the terminal developed over time to keep up with the travel demands of the population. You both know Nashville's growing a lot. Right. Over the years, it's grown exponentially. So what did the terminal do, Bob, to keep up with this new demand of people? Well, originally... There was a terminal on the same side of the airport that the Air Guard is now. I, re- I actually remember that. Hmm. <laughs> that was in the 60s. Okay. Then it, they built another terminal building over on the other side that entered from Briley Parkway. And and that airport, that, that terminal building that was there for quite some time until the new one was, was begun— and that and that terminal building begun began. Larry, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it began when Amer right before American decided they wanted to. Yeah, the new terminal building where it is now uh, was built uh, about the time American was going to make this a hub, oh, so they needed more space. Now I want to ask you about that story with American a little bit later, but okay. you know, Larry, I understand that. Where WPLN is located, here in Metro Center, this used to be an airport, right? It did. <laughs> Tell me about that. It was called Cumberland Field, you know, the Cumberland River. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was run by a man named Louis Gasser, and Gasser developed and patented uh, uh, airplane. well, uh, we call them banners. You, you've seen airplanes towing banners up and down the beach and all that. Mm-hmm. Well, he was one of the first ones and, and probably has the only patent and they're still selling under the gas of banners. A few years ago, they sold out to another company, but they used to make those banners right here. So when you're at the beach and you see, Mary, will you marry me? It was probably... <laughs> That's really cool. Yeah. If you're just tuning in, this is Nashville, and I'm your host, Khalil Lake We're talking this hour about the history of the Nashville International Airport. Now, you both have logged thousands of hours of flight time. So let me ask you, Larry, what was it like to fly into BNA? In the 60s? Well, uh, it was a lot easier, a lot less traffic. Uh, it was kind of a treat to fly down here at night. I, I learned to fly in Murfreesboro, and we started, we would fly back and forth to Nashville to get experience with the control tower and all that. And we would come down here sometimes at night and park at the terminal building and go inside the terminal and have uh, something to eat at the Sky Chef restaurant. It was kind of a fancy restaurant back then. Okay. And uh, it just wasn't much traffic at all. And matter of fact, the controllers would ask if you had time to do an approach because they had so many approaches they had to uh, get signed off on every 90 days or whatever. And we would do what's called a GCA approach, ground control approach, where they tell you which way to turn and and stop uh, descent or start descent or whatever. So you you were helping out the air traffic controllers. Yeah. You were helping them keep their skills sharp yeah. when there was a little downtime. Yeah. That's pretty cool. So I understand they used to have air shows at the airport, right? They, they did. What were those like? Well, uh, it, it was up until, uh, I forgot, I guess, uh, I know it was in the 60s, 70s, and maybe the 80s was when they moved to uh, Smyrna. But they had air shows here, and uh, basically they would 
work the uh, airlines in and out in certain times. Uh, and uh, they had, you know, the Blue Angels, Thunderbirds, and all that. Mm-hmm. That must have been cool. A big crowd, I bet. Oh, yeah. Now, Bob, you're a pilot, too. What yeah. was it like flying in and out of BNA in your heyday? Well, my, most of uh, what, I, what I began as a, as a commercial pilot ended up being management later. Your career has a way of taking a turn you don't even count on. Mm-hmm. But I was flying out of Tri-Cities in East Tennessee. That's where I'm from originally. And I, I came in here with, with people from my company, and, and I was dropping them off at the old, the very old terminal building, which became a fixed-base operation as well. And um, so I, I didn't, I didn't, I probably came in here a dozen times in a year's time, maybe. Okay. That's all. Okay. Not a lot. Did you have any close calls or emergency landings, either of you? Any nah. stories like that? Airplanes are very, very, very reliable. The technology is good. Their maintenance is, the maintenance requirements are strong. Larry can speak to that in big terms. The uh, No. I mean, I, yes, I've, I've lost an, one engine in a twin-engine airplane. Okay. On takeoff in Tri-Cities. Went around and landed. Simple. Know, got the engine. Repaired and kept going. No reason to panic. So it's nothing like no. the movies. Oh, Lord, no. No, nothing. Even, not even close. Okay. Now, okay, so I want to get to this story about American Airlines because the first big, one of the major expansions happened in the 70s. Right. And, okay, so let's start off. American Airlines promises, from what I understand, they're promising to, hey, we're going to invest a lot into BNA. What happens next? Well, they started... Flying in here as a hub, you know, a hub and spoke, and uh, a few years later, all of a sudden, they decided to pull out, uh, and they had a flight back then uh, to London, and they stopped that, and uh, I think they were here maybe four or five years at the most, and they pulled out, and they're, they're still here, but not as big as they were. Southwest is the biggest carrier now. What were the impacts of them deciding to pull out? Like, was there a contractual breach? I'm trying to figure out why they made that decision and what the consequences were. I'm not sure. Uh, but uh, I know when they pulled out for a while, the uh, terminal building was kind of vacant. You know, a lot of vacant uh, uh, gates and things of that nature. A lot easier to find a parking place back then. Bob, how did the airport leaders react? Well, everybody in town was angry about it because we had done a lot of things to improve the airport, mm. runway-wise, terminal-wise, the whole thing, had spent a lot of money, and then the hub thing died. Mm-hmm. But the good news was Southwest pulled in, and today they're our primary air carrier, and you can go anywhere in this country almost nonstop for, in, for a lot of their flights. So, we're so, so we, we've come out smelling like a rose, so to speak. Smell like a southwestern rose, apparently. Yes, sir, exactly. So southwest is our hub. Well, they call it, they, I've, I don't think they call it a hub. Okay. And I, you don't hear the term used too much anymore. They call it, they originally called it an anchor airport. Mm-hmm. And that's a pretty good term because that's what this one is for them. Is it difficult for airports to recover from that type of setback when an airline is like, hey, we're going to make a hub, we're going to come in here, or an anchor hub or an anchor spot, and we pull out? Was it difficult for BNA to respond? I don't think so because Middle Tennessee's economy has always been a very <coughs> stable, growing 
And it's all it's it's not about in fact right now, as I think you heard before, the airport is about nine years behind where it wants needs to be to service the growth that's taking place here right now. Mm-hmm. So yeah. you know the so what happens then, Larry? I'm interested because we're are we in this catch twenty two? We're nine years behind of to handling the growth that we're seeing now, but that growth is not slowing down at all. No, it isn't. All right, no. So where are we going to be in ten years? Well, they have plans, you know, that they're moving Donaldson Pike out uh, away uh, where it is now, uh, and the when American came in here, they built another runway which is on the uh, east side of Donaldson Pike now. And I was in a meeting, they were talking about how they were going to do it, and they said, we're going to have this finished in 18 months. And I said, wait a minute, you, you know there's a rock quarry over there. They've been taking rocks out of it for 30 years. You're going to fill it in in 18 months? Yes, sir. Mm. And how? 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Wow. And they got it done. Wow. And, uh, you know, right now it's uh, it's packed. You go in there any time uh, from... Four in the morning, which I've done before, and it's lined up. People getting out and going to flights, and uh, till probably one in the morning. You know, Larry, we heard earlier that the airport, you know, spent a lot of money on improving the airport in the seventies. Where does all this money that goes into airports? Where does it come from? Where does it come from? Yeah, uh, mostly leases, uh, uh, landing fees for the airlines, and leases, and even leases for all the fixed base operators and the hangars. And they also get a fee from every uh, gallon of uh, gas that the fixed base operators sell. So much a uh, so much gallon. I'm not sure what it is. Mm-hmm. And uh, they have plenty of money right now. That, they got oh, Tennessee's tax on aviation yeah. fuels is four and a half cents a gallon. Okay. Whether and, it's jet or or or, or, or fuel for piston yeah. airplanes too. And if you've ever parked there. It's expensive to park, and that's where they make a lot of money. Right now, last time I went there, one of the garages was full. The other one only had like 20 20 spaces or something like that. Mm -hmm. I I was thinking they made some money from them $9 coffees that they marked (laughs) up. They probably do, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, people people eat the smash burgers, but um, maybe that'll help with a new terminal. Now, you know, are there any quirks and things about the Nashville airport that people may not know? Bob, do you have any? I don't think <laughs> I don't think there are. I think everybody knows how difficult it is to get around there right now, but that's largely attributable to the construction that's underway. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if you're going to go somewhere from B&A right now, you need to get there a couple hours early, give yourself plenty of time, and not get excited about it. Okay. Because, you know, traveling anywhere is stressful. And it's a little more stressful right now than anybody wishes it would be. But this is how you grow. Mm-hmm. And and you just have to live with it. You know, getting upset about it doesn't help anybody. Not and at all. Only, only the, those that don't travel much get upset about it. Those that travel just... Yeah, I've, I've noticed that. Uh, I traveled last week, and uh, I got there almost two hours early. And uh, uh, for some reason, the uh, security was backed up. It took about about 20 minutes to get through instead of usually five minutes. And I noticed a lot of people in a big hurry, and uh, they probably got there later than they should have. You know, I've always noticed that. I've traversed some 
pretty major airports, LAX, JFK, LaGuardia, even, you know, the formerly Dulles Airport in the Maryland, D.C. area. For such a vibrant city with an active and growing population, I got to say, BNA is pretty easy to deal with compared yes, yeah. to the it rest is. of them, yeah. you know? Go to Chicago if you don't think it's easy to deal with. <laughs> yeah. Or go to Kennedy. Yeah, or Kennedy <laughs> yeah. or something like that. Yeah. yeah, it's like BNA. Show up a couple hours earlier, handle sure. it. You can no. sit up and check out the carpet. Now, I understand the old terminal building is still there, the really old one. Where is it, and what's it used for today, Larry? The old terminal building? Yeah. Uh, the one on the east side is gone, and the one on the west side next to Briley Parkway, it's I think it's it's gone too. I think it is too. Yeah, it's, they tore it down. They have uh, they have a maintenance facility and some hangars over there. Cargo side. There's a there's a yeah. cargo side too. Cargo's over there. Yeah. Okay. That's yeah. Don't 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 discount the cargo side of of airline service. Why it's, not? It's big. It's big. Take a, a look of, at take a look at Memphis. Mm-hmm. Twenty years the busiest air cargo airport in the world. Wow. And the only reason that changed was FedEx started opening up other distribution centers and they divested themselves of some of the that big time traffic that was totally focused on Memphis. That's the only reason that, that it's not the busiest now. I think it's Hong Kong now, but Okay. But, uh, no, it was a, Memphis was the busiest air cargo airport in the world for 20 years. For 20 years, and now it's different. Yeah. All right, so gentlemen, we've got about 30 seconds left. What do you want people to know about airports, the importance of them, and how we should be treating them? Larry, real quick. Well, get there two hours early and take your time, and when the flight is delayed or canceled, just... Uh, don't get excited. The people that you're dealing with had nothing to do with it, and they will try to get you out of there as soon as they can. All right. That is Mr. Larry Williams. He is a retired FAA investigator and pilot. He was joined by Bob Minter, the founder of the Tennessee Aviation Hall of Fame. I want to thank you both for being on the show today, and thanks for the tips. Really appreciate that. We want to thank everyone who tuned in this hour. Tomorrow, in review of the midterm elections, we want to look at who decided not to vote and find out why they made that decision. This is Nashville. It's a production of WPLN News and Nashville Public Radio. Listen back at thisisnashville.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Our producers are Steve Harouche, Rose Gilbert, and Magnolia McKay. Our digital lead is Anna Gallegos-Cannon. Michaela Elias is our technical director. Our executive producer is Andrea Tudhope. Shout out to our intern, Tori Hoover, and the masterminds behind our theme music, LaRange and Namir Blade. Special thanks to Jared Bryson, and Dr. Shaminda Prelis. The conversation doesn't end here. Tweet us at This Is Nashville. Find us on Instagram. Tell us what you want from our show by filling out our quick survey online. This is Nashville. I'm Khalil Ekelona. We'll see you tomorrow, everybody. Be good to each other and get to that airport on time.